Father, we come and applaud you because you are all together amazing. The reality that you made a way for us to be redeemed is astounding. And even though we can only grasp a fraction of what that means to be redeemed for eternity, we come and praise you for your goodness. And so I, I pray this morning, we come as a needy people, so many needs just represented in this room. And so I pray as we open up your word that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes and ears, that, that we might behold wonderful things about you, that our hearts might be drawn to you. And would you give us the grace and humility to surrender to you? We believe you're writing an incredible story. And Father, so often I want, I want to go off script and write my own story. And so I pray you'd give us grace this morning to surrender the pen of our life to you and allow you to direct our story. And so as I empty myself, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit to, to shepherd and strengthen and serve your sheep for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, welcome. Uh, newcomers, first timers, so glad you're here. First, let me put the kids at ease. I don't want you guys to be afraid. This is called an overhead projector. You're in no, you're in no, no danger, uh, no immediate danger. Uh, it's really simple. It just has a light inside, and it, it casts an image onto the screen. Your parents used to use it. And so that's first I wanted to just to put you at ease. Uh, First-timers, newcomers, so glad you're here. This is Hillside. Uh, if you leave with anything today, I want you to leave knowing that Jesus changes everything at Hillside. Jesus is not a part of what we do. He is the point of everything that we do. The scriptures tell us that all things came into being through him, Jesus. Apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. That he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was, is, and is to come. The scriptures tell us the Father is pleased with the Son. The scriptures tell us the Spirit has come to testify to and glorify the Son. The scriptures are all about the Son. So at Hillside, we say Jesus changes everything because he is the point of everything that we do. He's the only good news in a world of bad news. And so we want you to know that. We've been walking through the book of Genesis and looking at Jesus in Genesis, the fact that God's writing a story. And if you'd surrender your life to him, he'd write a brand new story. He's written a brand new story with my life. My name's Dave, recovering addict, alcoholic, saved by grace. I have new life in Christ, and Jesus is writing a new story with my life. And I know if you would surrender to him today, he'd write a new story with your life. It's just how good he is. I don't care about your background, how bad you've been, what your political affiliation is. Jesus will meet you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He'll start writing a brand new story and change your life. So we're in Genesis chapter 24. I messed up last week bad. I was supposed to pe preach Genesis 23 and 24. I only preached 23, so this week I've got 24 and 25. The problem with that is it's the longest chapter in Genesis. And so we're going to have fun with it today. I want to show you the simplicity of history and the simplicity of the home. It'll change everything. When Jesus changes your life, he begins to change your home. When he changes your home, he changes your cul-de-sac, your community, your city, your county, and ultimately the country. So watch this. We're in Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to, uh, because it's so long, uh, 24 and 25, I'll read selected, selected passages to give you the kind of the overarching view of when Isaac and Rebecca 
meet and get married. It's a long passage. 24, chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. God says, Moses writes this, Now Abraham was old and advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that Abraham owned, Abraham says, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country and my relatives and take a wife for my, my son Isaac. Now, if you jump to the very end of the chapter, verse 67, here's where the whole chapter takes us. Then Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and Isaac took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, chapter 25, verse 11, you need to know this too. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived in Beer Lahai Roy. And then in verse 19, 20, and 21. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, Rebekah, because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, let me give you a, a big theological spectrum picture on this so that, again, as we walk through, you can see what God's doing. That's what I want. All of the scriptures work together. They're perfect, and I want you to be able to see that. And so if you read straight through the Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, one of the truths you would walk away with about God is this, and it's astounding. You may want to disagree with me on it, but I'll, I'll, I'll show you. To read straight through the Bible, you're going to understand that God is simple. You're like, wait a minute. No, he's not. He's the most infinite, uh, transcendent being ever. God's simple. When God defines or explains himself, he says, I am one. That's not just a quantitative statement that God's one, it's also a qualitative statement. We call it the doctrine of divine simplicity, that God's not a whole bunch of pieces and parts that come together and we try and figure out. He's not 27% love and 15% anger and 17% forgiveness and you kind of mix it in. He's one. All, the, all of his attributes work together in perfection. He's one. Conversely to that, if you read through the Bible, you're going to find out that sin is a swirling vortex of complexity. It makes a wherever sin resides, complexity takes over. You don't believe me? Read the tax code for America. <laughs> Anybody ever worked through 70,000 plus pages? There's always a couple. One. Seriously, how was that? Is that Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I want to have a conversation with Rachel now because that's astounding. It's complexity. Why? Because sin always finds ways around, over, under, and we're, it produces complexity. God's perfectly integrated. He's one. Sin disintegrates us. Do you know that? Pulls us apart from the inside out. We don't even know what we want for dinner. How many of you have thought about it? Sweetie, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. Well, if you don't know, who's going to know? I don't know what I feel like. Well, are you hungry? Absolutely. What do you want to eat? Don't know. How do you not know you live with you, right? You're inside of you. 
well, I don't know, throw out some options. And that's where it starts, doesn't it? And it's downhill. Because sin disintegrates us. It literally pulls us apart from ourselves, from community, from God, from others. It is complex and confusing. This book, the Bible, tells the ultimate solution that God became man, dwelt among us, humbled himself, emptied himself, and he brought clarity out of the confusion. Such clarity and simplicity that the world mocks. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the world looks at it and is like, oh, that's too simple. That's ridiculous. It's simple because God's simple. Sin confuses and complicates. As we walk through today, and I'm going to use the overhead projector, and we're going to have fun with it, I'm going to show you this question, how do I live, love, and lead in a world that's lost its ever-loving mind? How, how do I live, love, and lead my family, my spouse, my, my community in a world that's lost its mind? It's utterly simple. Don't complicate the answer. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's going to give you everything you need every day you live for everything he asks you to do. And, and if I've got a concern, a prayer for Hillside... I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve with his craftiness, so you too will be led astray from the purity and simplicity, the purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. We're building new buildings, we're growing, and during times of growth, often we can pull our eyes off the target, off the prize. And so I just want to get back to that simplicity. Dave, what do we do? How do we lead? How do we love? The world's going crazy. Yeah. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's going to give you everything you need every day you live for everything he's asked you to do. Now, it doesn't always seem that way, and we'll jump into the text. I'm going to show you just two things. The simplicity of history. Anybody ever take history class and you just, you get lost in, in all of the data? Of his, I love history. I love it. I, I just don't like names and dates. I can't remember them. But I love history. It's just all jumbled up, right? There's a simplicity to history that the Bible gives us I want you to see. And as history comes to its culminative end in Christ, there's a simplicity to home. God says, I I just want you to see the simplicity I've given you so you can simply fix your eyes on me. 20 minutes, let's rock this. If we can turn off the overhead or uh, the the screen. Ooh, that's so rustic and gritty. (laughs) Look, you even see all it's, yeah, it's like American pickers. They found it in in the attic. Here's what we're going to do. There's a simplicity to history I want you to see. It's not confusing. It's not complex. It is straightforward. And so I'm going to walk you through it because I want to encourage you. I want to deeply, deeply encourage you. The art of the overhead is knowing how to position the transparency, is it not? Because if you get it the, the wrong way, it's... So that's perfect. There's a simplicity to history I want you to grasp and I want to encourage you. You happen to live in a culture that demands, it holds it out. You have to be extraordinary. You have to be an extraordinary dad. And so we run and gun and go, spend our life at work, we make money. You have to be extraordinary as a mom and it becomes this competition that mom, oh, she, she's raising kids and she has a job and she gets the dishes done and she gets the laundry done and we start competing and hurrying because we live in a culture where everybody wants to be extraordinary. I'm gonna encourage you towards the ordinary because most, most all of the mattering things in life are ordinary 
And if you're chasing the extraordinary to try and be something or do something that Jesus hasn't called you to do, you'll miss the beauty of the ordinary. You'll forget to love the people, right? You'll miss the extraordinary beauty of the ordinary acts of Christ in you, loving others. Now watch how this starts out. Here's where I want to encourage you. Genesis chapter one and two, God created paradise, super duper good. Genesis three through 11, there's a big problem. Sin enters the world and death through sin. I don't know if you know this, you're all going to die. Huge problem. Amen? I don't care what political party you're from. You're like, well, Dave, I'm a Republican. I got guns. Still going to die. I've seen some of your bunkers, like 50 caliber sniper rifles. The zombie apocalypse happens. You're okay. You're still going to die. I don't know how to communicate this to you. There's still a terminus point. We got a problem. Genesis 12, God has a plan. He comes up with a perfect plan. You may get it, you may not get it, but it's his story. He gets to come up with the plan. So in Genesis chapter 12, Gen, I'm gonna abbreviate, Genesis 12, God, yeah, you can see it. Can you guys see it over there, Rhonda? Up on the screen? Beautiful. Genesis 12, here's his plan. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna make of you a great nation. Now, if you took any geopolitics, is anybody building a great nation right now? Is that on your five-year bucket list? (laughs) It's really not that complex. You need four things to make a great nation. You need people. Pretty simple, right? You need land with borders. You need a leader, and you need law. That is the simplicity of the Old Testament. This is everything that God is doing. He's fulfilling his promise in Genesis 12. He's making a people. He's giving them a land, a leader, and the law. Anywhere you airdrop into the Old Testament, this is exactly what God is doing. Now, that's the simplicity. Here's the ordinary. Watch this. In Genesis 12, and I know my math is going to be weird on this, but we're just going to do some simple uh, arithmetic. Anybody enjoy math? No, a whole bunch of no's. This is great. This is great. So you're going to love this. In Genesis chapter 12, you have Abraham plus Sarah. One plus one equals? See, you guys are good at math. We got two people. Is that a great nation? No, pretty slow. So in Genesis chapter 17, something amazing happens. You have Abraham plus Sarah plus Isaac, one plus one plus one equals, yeah, you're nailing it. This is good. And now, over these 25, 30, 40 years, we've made progress. Amen? We went from two to three. But then you get to Genesis chapter 23, and you have Abraham minus Sarah plus Isaac Again, when I say it, it works, but when you write it out arithmetically, it doesn't work because you, you still have Abraham, but you lost Sarah, but you've still got Isaac, so two, three minus one equals, you're with me. But wait a minute, we went from two to three back to two. That's not good if you're building a great nation, amen? That's a step backwards. So let's move on. Then you've got Genesis chapter 24, and you've got Abraham plus Isaac plus 
Rebecca, and now we're at? No, for, for, <laughs> moving on. Then we got, you got, <laughs> but now, but now watch this because now you got Genesis 25 and Abraham dies, but you've got Isaac and Rebecca and you're back to, oh my goodness, do you know that it has been at this point, 100 years. We're 100 years into the story and you went from two to three, when back to two, up to three, back to two. 100 years with no progress in the story. Yes, that's what I'm talking, what? The ROI here is horrible, that's zero. You've just spent 100 years of time, energy, effort for what? No real progress on the story. You see, this is so frustrating. God, he's eternal and not always efficient. It does not seem as though God is in a hurry, does it? Do you know what was going on 100 years ago from today? 1922. Nobody knows, because we don't care. It's 100 years ago. They're, They're gone. Uh, Warren G. Harding was president. It was the end of days because he loved technology. And he brought the first radio into the White House. A hundred years ago. Can you imagine from that day to this day if there was no advancement, would we not just give up? It seems so futile, so frustrating. Here's what I want you to know. You're Texans, you'll get this. It's a lesson from a brisket. How many of you have ever microwaved a brisket to serve to guests? Ooh, there's audible, audible disgust. I did not, I didn't get that last night. You guys are true Texans and I appreciate that about you. Because brisket takes time, doesn't it? Hours upon hours to get that internal temperature up to about 195 and get the right, you call it brine, oak, crust, you know. You don't microwave the brisket because it ruins it. Do you know God's not in a hurry? He's growing something. Good things take time. And I love this story. When you go back from Genesis 12 to 25 and you realize there's been 100 years, it reminds me that God knows this life is frustrating. He knows there's a futility in this world system and he functions within the futility to show us his faithfulness. Do you know if you don't get that, you'll lose your mind. Have I ever told you the day I got two tickets? No, it's worse than you think. So I had gotten a speeding ticket about a month and a half earlier and I finally saved up the money and I was going down to pay the ticket. I got up and I'm like, I'm gonna get stuff done today. I'm going, I'm in a hurry because I don't plan well. I get pulled over and I get another speeding ticket and a ticket because I didn't have my seatbelt on while I was going to pay a ticket. And I, yeah, isn't that horrible? Uh, But I feel a little judged right now, honestly. (laughs) I'm trying to identify what I'm feeling inside. Like, has nobody else ever gotten two tickets in one day? Okay, there's some honesty going on, thank you. Luke, seriously? Yeah, it's true, our right foot is the last thing to get sanctified. 
I remember thinking to myself, I would have been better off today staying in bed. I would have been further ahead today if I had chosen to do nothing. I would be better off. And life, it just dawned on me, this life is full of futility and frustration. You need to know that God has joined us in this futility and frustration and said, I have chosen to work in the ordinary. And I will use the ordinary to bring about the extraordinary, even when it looks like my plan isn't working and we've gone two to three to two to three to two and you say nothing's happening. I'm at work in the ordinary, the ordinary things of life to bring about extraordinary results. That's chapter 12 to 25. Please remember, good things take time. Just write down, good brisket takes a lot of time. That's a theological statement. God's making the best story ever. Give him some grace as he takes time to make the most beautiful, beautiful story that's ever been written. Now, the question then with the last 10 minutes is, what do we do while we're waiting for the brisket to cook? What do we do while we wait? As God's working through this profound story, what do we do? And if you miss this, you're going to miss the mattering things. In chapter 24, we have the longest chapter in Genesis, 67 verses. So it's the longest chapter. It's just called the rule of uh, proportionality. If God spends a lot of time talking about something, the proportion of it tells us that it's important. It's proportionality. And this is the longest chapter in Genesis. Do you know what the longest chapter in Genesis is all about? Isaac finding his wife, Rebecca. The story gets told, and then it literally gets retold in the same chapter, 67 verses. It's huge. Why would God spend so much time saying, be super duper careful how you pick your spouse? Why would he do that? God, we've got this one. We don't need you. And you end up with a mess. And when the home is a mess, the cul-de-sac's a mess. When the cul-de-sac's a mess, the, the whole community's a mess. When the community's a mess, the city's a mess. When the city's a mess, the county's a mess. And when the county's a mess, the country's a mess. There's a simplicity to home. God says, you really want to do something extraordinary? Love your spouse and love your kids. That's how you change a country. But no, we're going to do it by, through the next election. Let me know how that works out for you. Honestly, I keep getting invited into that narrative. It's literally an invitation to insanity. No, we'll get it this time with the right elected officials. I've actually gone back and studied. Do you know which party has been in power most since this whole mug started? It's the conservatives. Now, we don't like to hear that. But it's an invitation to insanity. If we just get the right political leaders, the country will get better. No, there's a simplicity to the doctrine of home that matters. And I'm going to show you. This is mostly for the singles. I'm going to show you how to be the right person to marry. I'm not going to tell you to go look for somebody because that's a wild goose chase. Be that person because as you fly at this altitude, you're going to attract somebody flying at that altitude. Watch this. I'll show it to you. We'll start out chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. It's hilarious. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. I'm going to tell you how to, how, how to write the best story ever. Young people, single people. Watch. Now, 
I'm gonna have to church this up a little bit because it's inappropriate. And that's what I love about the Bible. Watch this. Now Abraham was old and advanced in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that Abraham owned, he said, place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and, and the God of earth. What is that? Place your hand under my thigh and, and promise. Uh, this is the part I have to church up. If you go to a court in America and you're gonna testify, you actually have to put a hand on the Bible, raise your hand and say, I swear to tell the, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. They didn't have a Bible back then. The only covenant sign they had was circumcision. Enough said. <laughs> Genuinely, that's true. It, it was, this is the sign of the promise. He said, okay. Here's where we get into it. Verse three, and I will, make, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you, here you go, you wanna know how to build a great home. You really wanna know how to make a difference in the nation. You really wanna know what it means to excel at the ordinary. I'm gonna tell you. He says this in verse three, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you shall go to my country and my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac there. If you really wanna build a strong home, young people get this, I'm gonna say it three or four times, I'll probably yell it because I don't want you to miss it. You really wanna build a strong home, you be a Christian a follower of Jesus, you love, you serve, you worship, you follow, you obey, and you enjoy Jesus. And, and as you're following, loving, serving, worshiping, obeying, and enjoying Jesus, you marry someone who loves, follows, serves, worships, obeys, and enjoys Jesus. You marry a Christian. This is actually God's command to us 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 12, 13, 14, 15. Don't you marry no non-believer. What fellowship has light and darkness? And don't come to me with this weak barbecue sauce, watered down sauce. But pastor, they believe in God. Good, that just means they're conscious. That means they're coherent. That does not mean they're a Christian. James chapter two, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Don't you go, and some of you are messing with it right now. You're playing with marrying a non-believer and I've gotta tell you, you are about to make the biggest mistake of your life. What you have there is a class A toad, a frog. It's a mess. And because you grew up watching Disney, you're like, but I, wa Pastor, I watched a movie once and the princess kissed the frog, and the frog became a prince. That's a fairy tale. What you see is what you get, baby girl. And what you see is what you get, dude. The most probable outcome of marrying that pet frog is not gonna be that they turn into a prince. The most probable outcome is that you're gonna get warts from kissing that frog. It's a mess. Even the... Even nature teaches this. If you put two dissimilar metals together, it's called galvanic corrosion. When those two dissimilar metals share an electrolyte, one corrodes and rusts at a rapid rate of speed. And that will be your 
life. It will be miserable. Now, there's a lot of things you can disagree on in this world and still get married, amen? Oh, you don't get it. My wife and I disagree on a lot. Do you know she likes hiking outdoors? (laughs) And I would genuinely rather be waterboarded for a significant amount of time than go hiking outdoors. We're different on that, very different. Do you know my girl likes mint chocolate chip ice cream? Thank you, a couple people say boo, good. Mint chocolate chip ice cream tastes like eating frozen crest toothpaste. I I don't, like to most of us, to most of the world, it's like, no, I don't brush my teeth for dessert. I'm gonna brush my teeth later. For now, I just need some cookie dough ice cream, something that's, that's real. My wife and I totally disagree on that. When it comes down to the fundamental truths of life, who God is, how God has revealed himself, what the Bible is, what sin is, what salvation is, how you obtain or receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that Jesus is the only way, there is and can be no disagreement. And if you come and tell me, but Dave, that's just a lot. I can't expect him to know all of that. He knows the whole lineup of the Astros from 87 to present. He's not dumb. He just doesn't care about God. Do you not get it? It's not as, well, Dave, you're just asking that she knows so much about God. No, she knows what Beyonce has worn to every award ceremony and how much it cost. Do you not see? Abraham says, you want to build a strong home? You marry someone by becoming someone who loves, serves, knows, obeys, surrenders to Jesus Christ. Now let's get to point number two. I got a minute and a half. It gets better. Then he goes, he, verses five and six, watch this, point number two. So that's point number one. Write it down, young people. Marry, be a Christian and marry a Christian. Point number one. Cross-reference, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 12, 13, 14, 15. Now, point number two. What's point number two? The servant said to Abraham, suppose the woman's not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And then Abraham said, and this is the first time this shows up in the Bible. Here comes point number two. Beware that you, and it's in the emphatic. There's an exclamation point. Beware that you do not take my son back there. Don't you dare go connect him with some unbelieving gal in an unbelieving place. Don't you dare. Point number two, if point number one is be a Christian and marry a Christian, point number two is see point number one and don't you compromise on those convictions. Write it down today. I will be someone who follows, loves, serves, worships, obeys, and enjoys Jesus, and I will marry someone, and I'm not gonna compromise on that. Because here's what happens, and I see it over and over and over and over, and that makes me so sick to my stomach. Well, Dave, I know what the Bible says, but they're so hot. They're just, I mean, they're hot. If you could, Dave, if you could see him with his shirt off, he's all stacked. Like, he's got a nine pack. It's just, I'm just so drawn to him. I had gals tell me, I'm just so drawn to, I'm just so drawn to his hotness. He's hot. He's hot. I'm hot. That's hot squared. That's like infinite hotness. How do you not pursue infinite hotness, Dave? It's hot squared. 
it hot, and I need you to write this down, young hot lasts for about 30 days. <laughs> Truthfully, they call it a honeymoon. That means honey is sweet, moon is month. You get one sweet month. Enjoy looking at that person who doesn't love, serve, worship, follow, obey, and enjoy Jesus. Because you're going to have the rest of your life with someone and hot only lasts about 30 days. You're not going to care about hot. Everything changes after the honeymoon. It's not in the traveler's brochure, but I will tell you and the people around you will tell you. It all changes. All of a sudden you come to bed and that dude with a nine pack that was hot is picking his toes in your bed and you're like, that's not in the traveler's brochure and that is not hot. And he'll be genuinely surprised why you're disgusted by that. And dude, you'll be in bed and she will come to bed with green stuff all over her face. You don't even know what it is. It's tough being that hot, amen, ladies? You gotta buy product and stuff and put product and stuff all over your face. They don't put that in the traveler brochure. You don't see that. But what happens is, because you're driven by the lust of the flesh, you say, they're hot. Dave, this is what I want. I wanna marry somebody hot. You need to know they're gonna be soft, squishy, and saggy a lot longer than they're stacked, amen? <laughs> That's a true statement. That's a theologic, listen, you marry that dude at 22 and he's got a nine pack, that nine pack turns into a huge keg, ladies. It just, <laughs> we got physicists here. It's the entropic principles of the universe. You can fight against it all you want. And dude, if you marry that girl because she is hot, you are going to live out the Solomon syndrome. Write down and memorize Proverbs 21.9. It's all over in Proverbs. I'll just give you one for sake of time. It is better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in a home with a contentious, arguing woman. You won't see hot anymore. See, hot is skin deep. Hate goes clear to the bone. And this gal will eat you up and she'll complain that you didn't taste good. You should have tasted better. You were not even that good of an hors d'oeuvre. So number one, you, you love, serve, worship, follow, enjoy, and obey Jesus. Number two, you go back to number one and you don't compromise on those convictions. Now, there's a reason why a lot of people are silent right now. They're like, but Dave, I married a Christian and that person crushed me. I married a Christian that was miserable. Don't give me this stuff. Then we get point number three. Watch this, it's beautiful. <laughs> See, this is why in America, we meet people, we marry very quickly. You've gotta take time to study this person's character. What's going on inside of this person? Watch Rebecca, it's beautiful. I'll read it to you. Uh, I'm in chapter 23. Watch this girl. You, want, you gotta know how to study a person. Watch this. Chapter 24, verse 10 through 14, 17 through 20. I'm gonna tell you how to study a person's character. You get to know this person before they marry her, because baby girl, he's gonna come to you, he's gonna get on a knee, and he's gonna say, will you marry me? And if this man doesn't love Jesus, see point number two, and is convicted by that, and see point number three, if he does not have character, I just want you to say, no thank you, I'd rather not have a pet frog. Watch this. Then the servant took how many camels? That matters. From the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor and he made the camels. The camels at this point become the star of the show. 
The camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water in the evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And the servant said, oh, Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be, watch the kind of girl he asked the Lord for. He's picking a wife for Isaac, who the great nation's gonna be built. Watch the kind of woman he asked for. Now, may it be, verse 14, that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jars that I may drink, and the girl who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one, (laughs) may she be the one whom you appoint for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. He prays and says, says, Lord, send me a camel waterer. Isn't that romantic? Write that down, guys and girls, single ones. Lord, send me a camel waterer, somebody who cares about camels. That makes no sense in our culture, does it? Let me show you what this shows about the heart of Rebecca. Astounding. Verse 17. So the servant goes out, then the servant ran to meet this girl, and he said to this girl, Rebecca, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand, and she gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw for your camels. 19, until they have... No, this matters, yo. I will draw also for your camels, how many? Until they have... See, we're all bored by this. We're like, what what in the world? Do you know how much a camel drinks, American? No, you don't, do you? You got no idea what this girl is up to and what her internal intestinal fortitude means. This prayer request was an insane prayer request. God, send me a camel water that will water 10 of my camels. A camel that's thirsty, like these 10 camels, We'll drink in the first three minutes 200 liters. Now, we were on a different measuring system. I'm sorry. 10 camels, one camel in the first three minutes will drink 53 gallons. 10 camels will drink, you do the math, 530 gallons. This means this girl is going to be drawing water all day long. Have you ever moved 530 gallons from a well that draws about two gallons per draw to water all this stranger's camels? This girl is astounding. And friends, when you are growing in Christ, you become a person of character who sees people as a priority, who chooses to do hard things to love others well. You see, when you're becoming a person of character and pouring your life out for the well-being of others, you're going to fly at an altitude where you will see other camel waterers, amen? You're going to be pouring out your life, you're going to be serving, you're going to be giving because community matters, people matters, caring for people matters. In a world of vampires that consume people, you're going to care for people. You're going to be a camel waterer, and as you're a camel waterer, you're going to see other camel waterers. And what that means is they've grown in Christ and what it means to walk in love and joy and peace 
and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness. They've made people a priority in a world that sees people as the problem and crushed community. You're gonna marry a camel waterer because you're gonna be a camel waterer. You see, this is how God uses the ordinary to transform and make the extraordinary. He takes us and as we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, he puts his spirit in us and he grows us to be people who fall in love with Jesus. And we choose not to compromise on that. We are a people who are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. We don't care how crazy the world gets. Give me Jesus above all else. We look forward and eagerly expect the return of Jesus Christ. Until then, we know he's called us to be camel waterers. Mark 10, 45, Jesus came to serve, not be served. He pours his life out. And when Jesus comes to live in you, here's how he uses the ordinary to bring about the extraordinary. John chapter seven, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He makes us into camel waterers. Young people, you listen to me. You want to build a home that ordinarily transforms America. You love, serve, worship, follow, obey, and enjoy Jesus. You choose not to compromise that. And you be a camel waterer that builds into your cul-de-sac, builds into your community, builds into your city, builds into your county, builds into your country. And people will see the light of Christ shining in and through you and say, Why do you water camels so well? Did you see how she ran? She ran to water the camels. This is what Jesus does in us. I wanna encourage you towards the ordinary because God has chosen the weak, the base, the foolish, the things that this world says are are not to bring about the extraordinary. Friends, you be camel waterers for the glory of God. You humble yourself, you follow Jesus, and you watch how Jesus changes everything. Let me pray, and let's sing to him now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have brought about simplicity in this world of complexity, that you've made it so simple if we will but submit and surrender to Jesus. You do that work in us, for us, and through us. And so I pray you would do that work now as we sing and worship you. Father, for those who've been playing around with Marion playing around with dating a non-Christian. I pray you just give them freedom, light, and life to realize it's not what you've asked them to do. Father, for those of us who've been focusing on being extraordinary and missing, missing the mattering, ordinary things in our life, would today be a day where we double down on loving our spouse, loving our kids, loving our community, and watching you change our country through ordinary things. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.